Welcome to So What Else. My name is Caitlin Elliott and I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories, the big important things they've been through, and also the random stuff. We're going to talk about it all here. This podcast is just me talking with fascinating people so that we can all hear what they have to share with the world. So what else? Hey guys, welcome to this very special Wednesday edition of So What Else. I am so excited for today's episode. We had a really huge response from Monday's episode called My Battle, and I just want to just personally thank any one of you from the bottom of my heart who listened, liked, shared, reached out to me personally. It means more to me than you can ever possibly know. And from that, we have today's episode, which is with Lauren Smith, who is a registered dietitian with Happy Strong Healthy. It's a company that offers remote coaching with registered dietitians. I've been working with Lauren for about six to seven months now. She is phenomenal. This episode, we talk about intuitive eating, what it is, what it's not, misconceptions about it. It's phenomenal. And basically, Lauren just gives so much hope for healing for people who might be either battling an eating disorder or disordered eating or just maybe has a little bit of a dysfunctional relationship with exercise or food or has a family member or a friend that's there. Honestly, she is so incredible and drops so much knowledge in this episode. I think it's going to be amazing. So stay tuned. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome to this episode of So What Else. I am so excited to have Lauren Smith, registered dietitian, on the podcast with us today. Lauren is my dietitian, as I shared, and um, we've been working together for about six months, and she has changed my whole life. So Lauren, say hey and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. My name is Lauren. That was such a sweet introduction, but... (laughs) Um, I am a dietitian. I am from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up there and then I went to the University of Delaware for dietetics, Um, graduated in May of 2018, and then I started working. So I'm sure we'll get more into like my history of work and why I work with you and and all that good stuff. But um, I've been a dietitian now for two years and I absolutely love it. I feel like I'm one of those lucky people who can like really say that they truly are super passionate and um, thankful to be doing what they do. Um, But that's just a little bit about me. Yeah. So, okay. So you are a registered dietitian and you said you went to school for dietetics. So what, what goes into being a dietitian? Like what exactly is entailed in that? Thank you for asking that question. Cause I think a lot of people don't know. Totally. Um, a lot of people even like, so I work in a hospital setting too, and even like doctors don't know. So I think it's important to clear the air. So there is a difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. Some dietitians will, will say they want to be called RDNs, which is registered dietitian nutritionist. So you can either okay. be an RDN. I normally just say RD to keep it simple, but um, you'll, you'll hear both. But anyway, so to be a dietitian, you have to attend a um, didactic program, which is typically a four-year uh, bachelor's of science degree. And then from there, you have to apply for basically what I would compare to like a one-year residency, like how oh. doctors go through a residency. Yeah. It's like you graduate, you have to apply. Um, it's like this whole application process. But anyway, you have to apply and get matched to a internship program, which is 1200 hours of supervised experience in all different clinical settings. So you'll be in the hospital, you'll be in food service, you'll be in community, which could be like a grocery store and really getting those hours and that experience so that you're eligible to sit for the RD exam. So all in, when I went through it, it was five years. Um, And then I sat for my exam and I was able to start working. But now if you know anyone or anyone who's listening knows someone who wants to be a dietitian, you actually have to have a master's degree. So they just changed it. So there's a lot that goes into being a dietitian Um, with nutritionists. uh, Anyone can really be a nutritionist. Uh, State to state, it's a little bit different on who can call themselves that, but you could take you know, an online course um, for anywhere from five hours to maybe a month to be a nutritionist. You could just call yourself a nutritionist and depending upon where you live, you know, no one's going to say anything. Um, Wow. Yeah. So that's a huge difference. I mean, because there's a lot of people that just use the terms interchangeably. Yeah, absolutely. And I would never get offended if someone was like, oh, she's my nutritionist. I mean, that's really, really common. But 
um, there, there's definitely a big difference and not like all nutritionists are, are not knowledgeable, but right, there's right. definitely differences that go into the two. All right. So there is a ton of schooling that goes into being an RD. And so dietitians can work in like a lot of different settings, like you said, like hospitals. So I know that you work part-time, like seeing clients like me, but you also work in a hospital. Can you kind of explain like the, like what you do in both settings? Mm -hmm. So if anyone knows the dietitian, it's really common in our field to like beep up around and like do a lot of things. Um, it's really common to have part-time jobs and that's really what's readily available, especially when you're starting out. So I actually like appreciated that because I, I wanted to do different things. Um, so that's like a, a pro and a con depending upon how you look at it. But So basically where I landed and and where I am now is I work part-time clinically. So I work for like a large suburban hospital system um, in Pennsylvania and I cover a floor that's like post um, it's like acute rehab. So like post hip replacement, replacement, um, someone who was on like, you know, antibiotic therapy for a long time and needs just like extra therapy before they go home. I cover that floor. And then I also cover outpatient for them, their addiction treatment center, um, which I was hired for because there's a lot of eating disorders in addiction. So I was hired for mainline health really primarily for that addiction treatment center um, because of my eating disorder experience. So I do that three days a week. And then I do clients really two days a week and evenings um, with happy, strong, healthy. Wow. All right. So talk to me a little bit about your history with working with people with eating disorders, kind of like, what is that like? And then I would love for you to also kind of get to what is the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating? These are terms that I feel like are like thrown around a lot and no one actually like gets it. So can you kind of like explain that? Absolutely. So it's actually so funny. So I, I told you about how the internship, it's like all these different experiences. And yeah. I actually never had experience in eating disorders. Um, you know, you learn about it in school, but I never was like working in it in the field, right. not even in my internship. So when, when I was graduating, you can imagine it's like five years of school. I'm like ready to get a job. I'm like, okay, totally easy to make money. I'm ready to get a job. So I applied to everything and yeah. I applied to, um, it's called a partial hospitalization program which is like a day, it's like going to school. So okay. I was working with people who were recovering from eating disorders from eight to two, basically. Okay. And um, so I, anyway, I interviewed there, you know, I, I was like, I'm probably not gonna get this job. Like I don't have this experience, um, but it was a very interesting interview. I really, what I had to do with those clients was make breakfast with them, eat breakfast with them, um, do a group on like, you know, a nutrition lesson. And then mm-hmm. I would make lunch with them, eat lunch with them. And I, of course, like made up the meal plans and everything for, right. for those clients. And when I was interviewing there, you know, she didn't even ask me at that time. She didn't say like, do you have any experience? Like share your experience. She just said, do you feel comfortable eating with the clients who come here? And I was like, yeah, sure. like easy yeah. yes, easy yes. And she was like, okay. Cause like a lot of, you know, dietitians um, don't feel comfortable you know, eating what the clients have to eat. Mind you, it's very normal foods. And, you know, I I will never forget that because it was just such an interesting conversation. And obviously like we vibed well and everything, but I got the job and it was Mm -hmm. part-time. And, you know, I I learned so much about myself, about what I wanted to do. I mean, I learned about eating disorders and like, you know, the a way I'd never had because I was working with them. Yeah. And I really realized that I learned about my own relationship with food at that yeah. time and how much I probably needed to be doing that to even get to what I'm doing today and how I am with my own relationship with food today. Yeah. So why do you think that a lot of dietitians didn't feel comfortable eating with the clients or the patient, whatever you would call them, the patients? A lot of clients. people who get into nutrition normally get into it for, you know, I don't want to say the wrong reasons, but it's because, you know, you're really strict. You want to be extremely healthy. You want to fit a certain, you know, ideal body type. Um, and I wouldn't like necessarily label myself as exactly that, but I I do think I I was like, I want to be the healthiest person I can be. Mm -hmm. And I want to learn, you know, everything that's healthy that I should be putting in my body to like have a long, healthy life. Right. which can really be, it can be taken to an extreme pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, there, so it's, it's pretty commonly known even among professors, students, you know, dietitians now that a lot of dietitians 
or either actively struggling. It doesn't mean they have um, an eating disorder, but they have disordered eating, which I'll get into, like you said, yeah. um, or they have a history of it. And that's really mm. how they fell where they fell. So going to your question of what's the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating. So an eating disorder is a diagnostic term. So basically someone is diagnosed with an eating disorder okay. based off of the DSM, which is how you, you know, figure out what you, what criteria you meet for what specific eating disorder disordered eating is a descriptive term. So it's not okay. diagnostic, but you know, doing the work I do now, um, it's very clearly easy to see that disordered eating can really quickly turn into a full-blown eating disorder. So they're both very important. Okay. All people, whether you're suffering from an eating disorder or disordered eating deserve to have help, mm -hmm. you know, whether that be from a dietitian, a mental health professional or both. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that like, they don't necessarily check all the boxes yet right. to have that diagnosis. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure you would say if you don't necessarily check all the boxes for an eating disorder, that doesn't mean like you should get help now before you get to that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you know, part of it is just being aware that that's even a thing, mm -hmm. you know, some people have probably never heard of disordered eating, or maybe they don't even think what they're doing is, totally. is disordered. So I think just awareness is the most important thing. Um, and that's what I'm really so passionate about is like spreading awareness that if you're feeling anxiety around food, you're feeling um, like you have to control everything that you eat, you're isolating, you're, you know, avoiding certain foods or food groups, you know, these are all things that can be really normalized in today's day and age that really aren't normal. Totally. I mean, I remember, so in the episode where I really go into my history with an eating disorder and stuff like that, I was in such denial. I thought, everyone does this. Like everybody kind of like starves themselves during the week to eat whatever they want on the weekend or like everybody is counting or everybody is weighing or things like that. And first of all, like, no, not everybody is, but also even if everybody around you is, that doesn't mean that that's the right thing. Like that doesn't mean that that's how your body's supposed to function just because everybody around you is disordered. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If someone else is doing it, it doesn't mean that you need to do it too. And I think, right. you know, most of the people listening, like you and I both know so many people think they are a nutrition expert because mm -hmm. they've done something that quote unquote worked yes. for them. And they're just so eager to share and it's not anyone's fault, but mm -hmm. you know, we've created like crazy madness, rules, restrictions, just things that aren't based on science. And it's just so easily convoluted and um, it's just, it's just become some madness. Oh, crazy. All right. So, you know, as I shared, um, in the earlier episode, when I was sharing about my story, I talked a lot about how, you know, I had struggled and then I, I sought help and blah, blah, blah. And then I was kind of falling back into it. And so I started meeting with you. And one of the earliest things that you and I talked about was you talked to me about the pillars of health and how it's not all just about food. Can you kind of explain like what those pillars are and mm -hmm. just kind of like give like a quick rundown? Yeah. So everyone um, who I meet honestly in the hospital addiction center or even on the outpatient basis, like you and I met, like we are just preached. I don't even know when it starts, but that it's about what you eat and how you move. It's about what you yes. eat and how you move. And that's really it. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot more that goes into your health. So the pillars of health that happy, strong, healthy really is built around and what mm -hmm. we emphasize with every single client and what I emphasize with people in general, whether they're my client or not, mm -hmm. is it's a, nutrition is one piece of the puzzle. So mm -hmm. nutrition, um, stress management, movement, hydration, and sleep are mm -hmm. really five super important aspects of health. And then I would even tack on another of body image, six. Yes. You know, I would probably make it Six. And I think mm -hmm. Jenna, I, Jenna and I have talked about Jenna's from happy, strong, healthy, but Jenna right. and I have talked about, you know, adding on a six pillar of body image. Cause that really does go into your health, your overall yeah. well-being. Yeah. I remember. Um, so when I first reached out to happy, strong, healthy, my initial call was with Jenna and she was kind of like doing like the initial questioning, blah, 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 to like hook me up with whoever I was going to work with. And I remember saying to her, you know, I, I did go on like some anxiety medication about a year, a year and a half ago. And I feel like it might've made me gain some weight. Like, do you think that I should go off of that? And she was like, 
and it always stuck with me. She said, mental health is part of health. So she was like, people assume if you're taking a medication and it caused you to gain some weight, then that automatically means like, oh, I should get off this medication. But like your weight isn't the entirety of your health. Like, you know what I mean? She's like, so if you go off of it and it it causes you to have like increased stress and anxiety and whatever other things caused you to go on the medicine in the first place, then is that the healthiest thing for you? Not necessarily, right? Like, and this, I am not trying to preach that everyone should go on anxiety medication or whatever. Talk to your doctor, like that's an individual thing. But I loved that when she said that, like mental health is part of health. Like we're not, and you know, hearing that from a dietitian, I was surprised by that, right? Because you you would think like, oh, a dietitian, they're probably gonna tell me like, it's all about the foods you eat. It's all about the exercise that you do. And that can cure every anything that you have going on. And you know what I mean? And the fact that she was like, no, like it's not just about that. It's not just about your weight or whatever. Like stress management is huge, you know? Um, So I really love that. I mean, that's something like my husband is like obsessed with it. He's always like, I'm getting my water, like I'm working on my sleep because it is like you realize sometimes that stuff really does fall by the wayside. It's so easy to just think about the obvious ones. What are you eating and what is your exercise like? But you forget hydration is a huge part of health. Stress management is a huge part of health health sleep is a huge part of health like all of this stuff works together so that was something that i loved talking about with you um okay so to really get into it basically in my initial episode where i talked about my journey i mentioned how when i started working with you about six months ago you really taught me how to eat intuitively or how to be an intuitive eater but i didn't go into at all like what that means, what is intuitive eating or anything like that. I wanted to save that for the professional. So intuitive eating has changed my life. I know it's changed your life. Can you explain to us, like to people who have never heard of this before, what is intuitive eating? Yeah. Um, So don't just Google it (laughs) because you probably won't find the proper answer. If you're really interested in learning about intuitive eating, I highly recommend reading the book. Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. It's the fourth edition is the latest edition. And um, that is where that's literally like the holy grail of Mm -hmm. how you will learn more about intuitive eating. But basically what intuitive eating is about is what we've already been talking about is that it's about way more than the food itself. It's about um, your mental relationship to food and what you're eating. And, And if you actually like read their definition, they say it's really being attuned Mm-hmm. mind, body, and spirit with mm-hmm. what you're putting in your body. And is it matching your values too, as a human being? Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, when you open the book, the first chapter is nothing to do with, you know, eat your fruits and vegetables, right? Um, have whole grains. That's actually the last chapter of the book for mm-hmm. a reason, because you have to go through all the work, which is ditching diet culture, you know, challenging the food police, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, finding movement that's joyful. These are all like, uh, chapters of the book principles Mm -hmm. of intuitive eating. And it's just, it's so powerful. I remember when I first was introduced to it, you know, I was like, not ready to hear it. Yeah. Um, I was just like, what, like, this is, I I don't understand this, you know, because it's not common, Mm -hmm. but once you actually sit down and you read it and you read it, and if you're in the headspace to read it, you're like, this makes so much sense. Like, the food is food is not everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you could be eating all the healthy foods in the world, but if you're stressed out Mm -hmm. about every morsel you put in your mouth, then you're still not healthy. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So when you say diet culture, what do we mean by that? Diet culture is all around us. It's, I mean, probably everyone who's listening to this has either engaged in it, experienced it, heard about it, and maybe not even known, but it's really, um, you know, an, I, it's like an unrealistic view of what healthy, uh, this is what I would say. I don't, I don't know what the actual definition is, but it's an unrealistic view of what being healthy looks like. Yes. That's what diet culture is. So, you know, thinking you have to look a certain way, eat a certain way, not eat certain things, Mm -hmm. cut out certain things, move a certain way to fit this like mold 
that we are being sold in social media now specifically, Mm -hmm. um, to be a healthy human. So it can be everywhere, but, um, that's my, my best like general description of it, but Mm -hmm. think of it, you know, wherever you go, it will linger. So it's probably in conversations. It's probably at the gym. If you Mm -hmm. go to the gym, um, it's probably, you know, conversations you've had with your work colleagues, yeah, it's, it's really, it really is everywhere, but it's, it's doing something because you think you're fitting the mold of what body type is the ideal in our day and age yeah. and not because of, is this actually healthy again for me mentally, physically, and emotionally, it's really yeah. just prioritizing weight. You know, that is yes. diet culture. Totally. I mean, and it's, it's everywhere. I remember, and you know, when I was in fourth grade, I remember um, a girl in my class saying that she was going to have like a a pool party, birthday party or whatever. And all the girls sat down at recess and we made ourselves like a diet plan of how we were going to lose weight, like so that we could feel okay in our bathing suits at this birthday party. We were in fourth grade. And I wish that that was like something I hadn't heard before. Yeah. But when I worked in the eating disorder setting, I've treated as young as seven and as old as I believe it was like 74. Um, So diet culture knows no age. Um, It has no biases. Mm -hmm. It affects every single person, male, female, you know, however Mm -hmm. you identify and every single body. And, um, it's just, it's crazy, but you're not the first person to tell me that, you know, the fourth grade is the first time you've heard of this thing because it's everywhere, especially with social media, just being like a part of our everyday life. Totally. Oh, absolutely. What do you think is like the most common misconception about intuitive eating? So, oh, I love this question. These are such good questions. So (laughs) I think, um, and myself included, like I said, when I first heard of intuitive eating, I was like, what is this? Like, how would I actually know what to eat? Right. Like I thought that it was just eat whatever you want. Like, it's just like wake up, which I mean, like to a degree, but I just mean like, I thought it was like, wake up, eat a bag of Oreos, then eat like six plates of French toast, have a full pizza for lunch. Like I was like, okay. Yeah. I thought I had no concern for health. Right. I was like, okay, how am I actually going to know what I want to eat when I want to eat it and how much is going to sound good. So I think a huge misconception is what you're saying is that it's don't eat any healthy, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, healthy foods. It's just eat, you know, all the things that typically don't make us feel our best. Mm -hmm. And, and that's that, you know, health is off the table. And that is literally the farthest thing from intuitive eating and not saying that that can't be someone's choice because it absolutely can. But if you actually are working with someone who's helping guide you on the intuitive eating journey, you will get to a point where maybe you had the Oreos for breakfast every Mm -hmm. single day for a while. And, but I promise you, you will get to a point where you're like, I literally don't want that again. And it's not because, you know, diet culture is telling you it's bad. It's truly because your body is like, wait, this isn't giving me energy and how I want to feel to start my day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do. Yeah. I do think that when somebody says like, oh, I'm an intuitive eater or I want to pursue intuitive eating or something like that, people assume that means like, oh, so you're never going to eat a vegetable again. You're never going to eat a fruit again. Like you're just going to eat nothing but sugar all day and all night. But what you've helped me to discover is if you learn to be in tune with your body, your body will naturally start to crave things that help it to feel good. Now, do I still crave sugar? Yeah, like I have dessert and you know this, I have dessert like basically every day, you know what I mean? But I don't anymore, like in my old life, you know, I would not eat any sugar all week, like Monday through Friday, zero sugar, zero sugar, zero sugar. Then the weekend would come and I would eat six brownies and a tub of ice cream in one sitting and feel like I wanted to die slash throw up slash have really bad stomach cramps, like feel sluggish, lethargic. Like that doesn't make you feel good. You know what I mean? So like it, you would feel better if you ate one brownie every day, you know, like, and then you're like, yum like then you don't feel like this when you're around brownies you have this like out of control need to consume the entire tray because it's like yeah whatever like it's not an off-limits food i eat it all the time so here we go sure do i want one great do i not maybe i don't 
And I remember, I don't know if you remember talking about this, but I remember talking about this with you and I tell this to almost all my clients, but like you were born an intuitive eater. Yes. Like think of if you, if anyone listening has children, mm-hmm. you know, think of your ch- children crying at like two in the morning because they're hungry. Like they know mm-hmm. when they're hungry and then they stop when they're full. And that's just human nature. Like we are all born with natural intuition of our hunger and fullness. And then it can happen at an early age, like as young as fourth grade or even younger, where there's outside voices, aka diet culture, that are, you know, disrupting your intuition because you're being told that that is not correct and that you have to listen to something else because that's what healthy looks like. And then you go down, you know, whatever path you go down and for everyone, it could look different. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for you, it was, it turned into an eating disorder, but for everyone, it could be something they struggle with forever and never really think of it as a, as a problem. But I can promise you, you know, you were born that way. It's not like I'm, you know, me or any other intuitive eating dietitian is like transforming you into something that, you know, you can't be it's, it's in you, it's in everyone. Yes. I loved that when you first said that to me, because I, you know, at the beginning of us working together, it was like, well, how much of whatever thing do you want? Are like, are you hungry? Are you full? And I would say like, honestly, like I'm so out of tune with my body. Half the time I don't feel like I know, like sometimes I'm, I'm not sure like how much I want or when I think I'm going to be done or like whatever, you know what I mean? And I remember you saying, we're just going to help you like rediscover the way that you were like when you were born, like, cause when you were born, you knew what you wanted and how much and when, and you know, whatever. And so we're just going to like help you rediscover that, you know? And at the beginning it was weird, right? Like I was like, I don't know, like this feels like, is this too much? Is this not enough? I'm not really sure. And it's like, after a few months of like, practicing that skill and working on that muscle, you know, it's like now I feel so much more in tune to just like, what do I want? What do I need? And I remember a few months in there, like I was somewhere where there were like donuts and normally that would have made me like go crazy, right? Cause like donuts were such an off limit food to me in the past that if I was somewhere where there was donuts, it was like, I would either have to leave the room or I would have to eat all of them. You know what I mean? Like there was no such thing as me just like enjoying a donut and moving on with my life. And I, in that moment was like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, I actually don't think I want a donut right now. I think I'm just going to like save it for later because like right now I just like really am not in the mood for it. And I didn't eat it and I didn't feel like so like worked up about it. And later I enjoyed it. And then I moved on with my life, you know, and that was revolutionary for me because like usually it would be like oh my gosh I'm eating a donut I'm so fat I hate myself I feel disgusting now I might as well just have another one or I should go work out because it you know I'm gonna punish myself for this tomorrow okay it's fine I'll eat a donut today but tomorrow I won't eat anything and just learning like if you want a donut today eat one if you don't don't and don't make up for it tomorrow it's just every day you just feed yourself Yeah. I mean, once we put a label on something as bad, Mm -hmm. like even think of, you know, a stovetop, like a burner for a kid, you're like, don't touch the burner. It's hot. And then they're like, so hyper-focused on the burner. They're like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I want to touch the burner. I want to touch the burner. Um, You know, it's the same thing with food. If you say you can't have that, but you're so intrigued by it, you like it, um, you know, it's going to make it that much more desirable. It puts like a halo around it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing and you can't have it. So you're hyper fixated on it. And it's hard. It's, I wish it was easier, but it's hard mm-hmm. to like remove those labels yeah. and break down those barriers and really achieve like neutrality with food. But mm-hmm. like what you experienced in that moment was that you could have it if you wanted it tomorrow, you could have it if you wanted it in that moment, but you didn't. Mm-hmm. And you were able to actually decide that for yourself and not base it on a decision that was like, this is good. This is bad. Or I see a lot of like bartering, like clients will like barter with themselves. So it's like, okay, if I have the donut now, Mm -hmm. then I can't have a carb at dinner and I can't Mm -hmm. have the dessert after this dinner. So I'll have the donut, but then it's like, okay, you have the donut, but then all you can think about is how you can't have something later. Yes. It's also like 
you can think that you're doing, because this was me and this is why I'm saying it, but like you can think that you're including all foods, but you can still have like these labels, these rules, things that maybe you don't even think are severe, but that are still affecting, Mm -hmm. you know, your life in in a way that it doesn't need to. So it's definitely not easy, but when you have those moments like that, that you can look back on, you're you're like, whoa, like I had no idea I could do that. Yes. I remember reading about something in the last few months where they were talking about mental restriction. And I was like, wait, whoa. And like, then we were talking about it as well, because it's like, you think, okay, if you're going into, you know, recovery from eating disorder or just from disordered eating, or you're working with an intuitive eating dietitian or whatever, you know, the whole point is that you're not supposed to be restricting yourself to like save up for a big night out or whatever. Like, and that's so common, right? Like people are like, oh, it's Easter. So I'm not going to eat breakfast or lunch. And then I'll just go, you know, to my mom's house for dinner and eat everything like Mm -hmm. in sight. So like, don't restrict yourself, eat normally, whatever. But some people, and I was in, I was like this as well. You can, you get past that beginning stage, right? Where you stop physically restricting your food, but you still mentally restrict yourself in the sense that you're either like beating yourself up for what you ate or like you said you're kind of like okay well if I eat this and I won't eat this or maybe if I have this then I'll have this or then I'll do and it's like that blocks like you even getting pleasure out of the food that you're eating so it's like you're not even really doing the good of you know what I mean like it's like you don't even get the enjoyment out of it because you're doing all the mental restriction and that's literally what the the principle in the book is based off of that's called um find discovering food satisfaction yeah um so like discovering food satisfaction like that's so major I mean that was so major for me it was so major for you but you know you can be eating like quote unquote enough calories if you Mm -hmm. are I don't know but you could be eating enough calories but if you're restricting yourself from food that's satisfying yeah you are going to find yourself um what I call and a lot of people call eating around your craving so Mm. you might go you might want the ice cream and you might have you know, a rice cake, and then you might have an apple, and then you might have some popcorn, and then you might have like, you know, some cereal, and then you just end up having the ice cream because you're avoiding it. Mm -hmm. And you're eating around your cravings. So like, that was such like a revolutionary thing for me. And for so many of my clients is like, wait, if I just ate the thing that's satisfying, whether that's ice cream or a salad, Mm -hmm. I'm going to just like stop thinking about food because I'm literally not only physically full, but I'm also mentally satisfied. And then, you know, food is, food is not on your brain anymore and it shouldn't be. And so many people think about food all day. It's like, you have breakfast. What are you going to have for lunch? What are you going to have for snack? What are you going to have? for? It's like, it shouldn't be like that. You know, it it really should be like you eat, you move on, you get hungry again. You think about what you want, Mm -hmm. you move on. And it's just, that's just not the norm anymore. So if you feel like that's how you're feeling, you're definitely not alone, but you don't need to think about food all day. Yes. Yes. I love that. It's like, I've read a lot that a lot of people, once they become really in tune with their body and good at intuitive eating, they realize that a lot of mental space gets freed up and they're like, wow, I used to think about food and what I was eating or not eating all dang day. And now that I've learned to just like eat whatever I'm desiring, I don't think about it as much. And I heard someone describe it one time as like, you need to learn to stop playing chess with your food. Like stop doing the, like I had a carb at breakfast, so I won't have one at lunch or I had the donut here. So then I won't have sure. That's like, you're constantly playing chess, which is a mentally exhausting game. Right. And Mm -hmm. so if you're doing that all day with everything that you eat, that's going to wear you down and it's Mm -hmm. unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Now, what is this trend that Gwyneth Paltrow was telling us about intuitive fasting. Is that intuitive eating? Are those the same things? Oh my gosh. If everyone can see me, it's like, I'm literally (laughs) laughing. It's like honestly comical. Um, It's not the same. It's not even close to being the same. And you know, this is what's sad about diet culture. So Mm -hmm. diet culture is selling you something. Diets Mm -hmm. in general are selling you something. So this book came out because it wants to be bought, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're selling you a product what's selling right now, actually intuitive eating is yeah. selling right now. People mm-hmm. are, people are learning. They're learning. I'm done mm-hmm. trying X, Y, and Z for 30 days. 
I'm done, you know, cutting out things that I'm not going to cut out for my whole life. Like we're, we're learning, we're, we're, we're evolving as a species mm-hmm. and we're learning that this isn't sustainable. So intuitive eating is definitely, um, get, gaining more popularity. Thank, thank goodness. I'm very happy about that. But unfortunately the diet culture industry is catching on to that and they're, they used the word intuitive. Mm-hmm. I really think for a reason because yeah. it's selling. So they put the word intuitive in front of fasting. And if you even read like the intro or like the prologue or whatever, there's nothing intuitive about intuitive fasting. It's, you know, restricting your window of eating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even restricting certain foods that you're eating. And it's just like, I don't, I just, I don't understand how they could even use that word right. um, on there. So I don't recommend it. Because there's nothing um, intuitive about fasting. There's nothing intuitive about fasting. You know, there, there, there's nothing intuitive about like, and I've seen this example so many times and it's such a good one, but like, think about someone who, you know, if you have to pee, you just pee, you don't wait yep. to pee for food. You know, why are you waiting on a biological cue? Like yes. this is literally your body telling you that you're hungry. And now there are people who fast for like religious reasons. And sure. that's a totally different story. But when it comes to like, trying to heal, heal your relationship with food, do something that's sustainable, doing, doing something that's like health promoting and mm-hmm. for your overall well being. intuitive fasting is not that. And it also, I believe it, it's a 30 day thing. I, I want to say okay. it's 30 days. It's definitely a, like a time, like a weekly, like restraint or something. Okay. And if you're looking for any red flags in diets, it's, if it has like an end point, mm-hmm. you know, if it's cutting out something that doesn't need to be cut out for any sort of medical reason, mm-hmm. um, you know, those are huge, huge indicators that it's diet culture selling you something that's not sustainable. Yeah. So why, I mean, you basically just said it like a hundred times now, but I just want to like really hammer this point home. Like, why do you think going on a diet is damaging to somebody? Yeah. So what research is showing, because every, so why does someone go on a diet? They go on a diet typically to lose weight. That's really the number one reason someone goes on a diet, you know, and what research is showing is that going on diets constantly over time actually leads to weight gain. Okay. So that's one thing that I think is really important to know, but at the end of the day, dieting takes away your intuition. You know, Mm -hmm. you're given a set of rules that you're told to follow for a certain amount of time typically. And it really affects like your, your intuition, like your hunger, your fullness, your cravings, what you actually like enjoy and and find satisfying. And then in turn, it can lead to overeating because then the diet ends, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to binge because your body is like, your body doesn't like to change. It it Mm -hmm. likes to be in a certain range. And that could be, you know, a bigger range for some and a smaller range for others, but Mm -hmm. your body's going to fight really, really hard to get back to where it feels comfortable, where it feels safe, where it feels nourished. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with each diet you go on, unfortunately, you're damaging your natural rhythm, everything, your hormones, like just yeah. think of everything that your body does for you on a daily basis, like more and more and more each time mm-hmm. that it's just, it's, it's such a hard cycle to get out of. But basically, I guess if I had to sum it up in one sentence, restriction leads to just complication. It leads to overeating. It leads to not focusing, not being present, like, you know, all of these things that are bad for your physical and mental health. And that's literally proven in research. Yes. I love it. So what do you think though about eating plans that are like, we are not a diet. We're a detox. We're a reset. We're a lifestyle. Like we're, it's not a diet. No, we don't believe in diets. Are, what do you think of those things? Are those good for us or what is that? Yeah. So if, if I'm hearing the word detox, I think that's like such a red flag because, you know, food, there's nothing that detoxes your body. Like celery juice doesn't detox your body. Unfortunately, I'm sorry if you <laughs> thought it did or any sort of juice. Say it button. again for the people in the back. I know, but you have, you have your organs to do that. You have your yes. kidneys and your liver that are literally your powerhouse, natural detoxification systems. So detox is just a trendy word, like so many Mm -hmm. other trendy words out there right now that's selling you something. So if it's a reset, I don't know what it's going to promise you, but if it's saying like, I'm going to rid you of, you know, all the toxins in your body, like I can absolutely promise you that is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, You might like 
you know, go to the bathroom more, you might have more Mm -hmm. bowel movements, you might feel like, you know, that helped your bloating or whatever you're experiencing for the reason that you went on the, on the so-called detox. Um, but there's nothing that's actually going to detox you more than just your body itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said before, the best thing you can do is just try to maintain some homeostasis. So like I've said to you, Mm -hmm. if you feel like you overeat one day or one night or whenever, the mm-hmm. best thing you can do is wake up the next morning and eat yeah. because if you are trying to detox, restrict, make up for anything, so mm-hmm. I know a lot of people go on detoxes like after vacation, which is a yeah. funny thing because mm-hmm. they probably dieted before vacation. If yeah. you think about it, I know. Um, you know, they're trying to, to make up for something and they end up doing more harm because then, you know, again, your body's like, whoa, I've been in starvation mode, yes. you know, trying to detox and it just, it starts the cycle over all over again. All right. So what would you say to someone who's listening to this and they're like, yeah, okay, that sounds lovely, right? I would love to just listen to my body and, you know, eat what I'm craving and blah, blah, blah. But trust me, you don't know me. Like I'm going to wake up and I'm going to eat like a psychopath. I'm going to gain a hundred pounds in a week and I'll be unrecognizable. Like I could never eat intuitively. I can't trust myself. I don't have self-control. What do you say to someone like that? I would first say I don't blame you for Mm -hmm. thinking that, Um, you know, and intuitive eating, like it's something that you do have to kind of be ready for, you know, like I said, I had, I had seen it before and I wasn't ready for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and then I was, so if, if you're not ready, don't force yourself into it. But I think it's important to just know that there is something out there Mm -hmm. that's, that can work for you. And you can take some time to think over if it's, if it's what you want to do now or not. But you know, when you said, Oh, I'm going to gain like whatever you said, a hundred pounds a week, that's literally not possible. It's actually not possible. Um, so, and I would obviously talk them through that, like scientifically, because mm-hmm. we know that it takes 3,500 calories above your total daily energy expenditure to gain one pound. Mm-hmm. So you might feel like you gained a hundred pounds, but like, like physiologically you did not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just say, you know, stay curious, stay mm-hmm. open. If you're not ready, don't force it, but just know that all the things that you think are going to happen you would, if, if you, ha- if you have access to, you can have support mm-hmm. to someone who can give you steps because I'd be the worst dietitian ever if I was like, okay, today you're dieting and tomorrow you're intuitive eater. It does right. not work like that. Like there's again, pr- principles, processes, things that you have to have in place, just like mm-hmm. with anything, any journey that you're trying to achieve, anything that you're trying to, you know, gain, um, to get you from A to B. So you're not going to just go from A to B and you could end up eating, you know, things that make you feel uncomfortable for weeks at a time, Mm -hmm. but it will end. And it's so, so, so more than worth it. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. So how does this relate to exercise? Like, is there a such thing as like intuitive exercise? Like, does that, how does that relate to this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like nutrition people, um, a lot of times with fitness, you know, you might be doing the fitness you're doing because you think it's going to achieve a certain outcome. Mm -hmm. So I would ask, you know, anyone who's listening, like, why are you working out the way you're working out? And would you work out that way if you knew that nothing was going to happen to your body, you know, with that style workout? Or are you only working out that way because you are hoping for results, Mm -hmm. you know, and whatever answer you say, like, I want you to know it's okay, but you Mm -hmm. should really ask yourself that because, when we even study, um, you know, the places in the world that have the longest lifespan, mm-hmm. the blue zones, they are not doing like orange theory hit classes, you know, yeah. every day, like they are walking, they are doing gentle movement, you know, yes. and they are living the longest lives. Um, if you like orange theory hit classes and these intense style classes, that's great. Like you can mm-hmm. do that, but you know, is the amount that you're doing something helping you physically, mentally? Is it helping your relationship to food? That's something mm-hmm. that I would I would really question a lot of people on because mm-hmm. myself included. Again, I've done it myself, so I know like yeah. I know how it is. But um, you can feel like you're doing all these things that are quote unquote like good for you and healthy. But can you do them when you're 75? 
right? You know, probably not. So mm-hmm. I, I say to all my clients, I've said to you, like, what can you do when you're 75? Like, what do you yes. want to be able to do when you're 75? Cause if you're doing a really intense class on your joints six days a week, you're mm-hmm. probably not going to be able to run yeah. when you're 75. You know, if you want to just be able to pick up your grandchildren and hold them Mm -hmm. and be active, you know, and be mobile and be healthy, what real healthy is, then you really have to check your relationship to fitness and, Mm -hmm. and see, am I actually doing movement that's enjoyable, that's safe, that's Mm -hmm. helping me maintain my muscle mass? Because as women, we start losing our muscle at the age of 30. And if you're dieting and over-exercising, you're making that process even worse. Mm -hmm. So these are like huge things that no one talks about as much yeah. as they really should, but you know, it, they are so intertwined intuitive eating. I really think has bled into every single area of my life. Yeah. Um, you know, how I, what I choose to do on the weekends versus yes. what I choose to, how I choose to move versus, you know, my sleep time routine, like literally it's bled into all areas of my life and I didn't even know it. Yeah. So it is crazy how it's just like, before you know it, you like, you consume this information, you hear this information, you're reading this information, you're practicing this information. And then it's like, wait, this information is literally like trickling into all areas of my life in the best way possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've helped revolutionize my relationship with fitness as well, just because like, to me, it was so like, I only ever worked out to lose weight. I never one time in my entire life thought to myself, I think I might like exercise because it feels good because I like the endorphins because it's like I could go for a walk with a friend or like this is a fun thing to do. It was always like, all right, I got to do this because like I got to lose weight. Right. Mm -hmm. And like you talking to me about like, what do you enjoy? It was kind of like, huh? Like, I don't, I don't know, you know? And it's like now I've stopped and it's a slow process, but I've slowly stopped looking at exercise and movement and fitness as like, I'm doing this to get my body to look a certain way. It's like, I'm doing this so I can feel good. So that, like you said, I can maintain my muscle mass so that as I age, I don't break bones and pull muscles so easily. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm doing this because it feels good. Right. And I've started, like we even talked about like being able to use some heavier weights and things like that, because I'm fueling myself better. I used to be friggin' exhausted all the time because I wasn't eating enough. And now that I'm fueling myself better, I actually have more energy to do more fun workouts and things like that, that before I like could died thinking about, you know? Yeah. It's like, we're, it's really working out to be strong, Mm -hmm. you know, to be strong, to get stronger, to really benefit from what, what you're putting into it, you know, and, and for you for so long, you were moving and it's not like it wasn't benefiting you, but like, you're getting so much more out of it. And like, you're seeing progress, like picking up heavier weights is really cool. Yeah, totally. And, and, and that's like really exciting too, especially if you're like a competitive person, if you ever played sports or something, you know, competitive at nature, like you want to keep getting better. Like, why wouldn't you want to pick up heavier weights, but you're not going to get there if you are restricting, you know, even like we talked about calorically or mentally, you know, it takes both to get there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously I've come a really, really long way in my recovery and my relationship with food, fitness, my body, all of these things. But like, if I'm being honest, it is triggering for me when I'm in a group and people are talking about their diets or if I'm on social media and I'm seeing like before and after photos or, you know, things like that. Like sometimes it can be triggering for me and I, it gives me stress and anxiety. Like, is that normal? And like, what advice do you have for people that are like slowly trying to claw their way out of diet culture? Right. But it's hard because it's everywhere. Yeah. I think, you know, unfortunately we can't control like what we consume and what people around us say and you know, what we, we can control some things on social media, Yeah. Um, but we can, we can definitely control how we react. So I think, you know, with triggers, you're, it's not your fault that that's triggering mm-hmm. at all. I mean, think about how far you've even come. And, yeah. and on that note, like there's no destination to intuitive eating. Like there's no like final Yes. platform that you're going to land at, you know, you're not mm-hmm. wrong for still being triggered by those things, but it's really what tools do you have that you can rely on to kind of pull yourself back and realize like, why, first of all, why is this triggering me? 
-hmm. you know, really getting down to the core of that. Cause it comes down to like your core beliefs. Like, what mm -hmm. do you believe that they're saying is true for you? Mm -hmm. You know? So if they're like, oh, I'm doing X and I lost X amount of weight and that's mm -hmm. triggering for you, you know, just be curious about it. Maybe mm -hmm. what you're believing is that being X amount of weight or losing X amount of weight is healthier. Yeah. And then you have to explore that relationship more. Like, why is that healthier? You mm -hmm. know, yada, yada, yada. So really figuring out your core beliefs. And then, like I said, having the tools that you can rely on to get through that moment. So mm -hmm. that could be a variety of things, depending upon the scenario, you know, it could be do, it could literally be removing yourself from that situation. If you could, mm -hmm. like if it's social media, closing out that yeah. screen, you know, going on a walk, you know, calling yeah. a friend, if you're having, um, like a dinner and you're having that conversation and it's triggering where you just don't want to talk about it, mm -hmm. depending upon who it is, you could just be like, you know, I was really looking forward to seeing you. Um, yeah. what's new in your life? Like aside yes. from, you know, how you're eating or, or how you're moving. Totally. Um, and then on your own, you can do more of like that inner, inner work to see like, what is it that they said that maybe you even were surprised that mm -hmm. it triggered you, mm -hmm. you know, there's certain things that myself included, like will happen to me. And I'm like, wow, like, I'm still thinking about that. I wonder why. And, and yeah. learning never ends. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's actually the best thing ever yeah. because with every other thing anyone's probably ever tried is like, you do this to get to where they say you're going to go. Yeah. Whereas with intuitive eating, like there's nowhere that yeah. everyone, there's no land of intuitive eaters. Like right. you just keep learning, you yeah. keep learning about yourself. You know, nutrition is a science that's mm -hmm. always changing. Mm -hmm. too, which is a good thing. You know, if yeah. we weren't always learning, right. then how would we get better? So, you know, if someone says something that you are triggered by also tell yourself, like, is that fact? Is that what they believe? Like yeah. just the best word is to just like really be curious about mm -hmm. not only what they're saying, but also why you feel the way you're feeling and then share it with someone who you think is a safe person to help yeah. you, you know, get through that thought. Yes. I love that. Now, what about people that are listening and they're thinking, yeah, but like, isn't gluten like really bad for you? And like dairy is really bad for you. And I've heard that sugar is like addicting. It's like a drug, you know, like how can this girl tell us like basically all foods fit? Like she's a dietitian. Like aren't dietitians supposed to be telling us like avoid gluten, avoid dairy, avoid soy, like don't eat these foods. Yeah. So what you're saying, it's like the inflammation. People are like, this is inflammatory. Yes. Number one, unless you are allergic to something, you know, it's not causing inflammation. So if you were like celiac and you needed to be gluten-free, please be gluten-free. Like right. that is a medical diagnosis that you manage by your diet. You know, some right. medical diagnoses, you don't need to do anything to your diet. Some you do. That's one that you do. Um, you know, there, there's so much in misinformation out there. What I want everyone to know is that your, if your body wasn't in any sort of inflammatory state, you would die. Your body needs to have inflammation to literally live. Think about I love like getting, that. <laughs> think about getting a cut. You know, yes. if you didn't if you didn't have a response, which is an inflammatory response, you know, you would just keep bleeding. Yes. You know, so whether it's like a cut or a traumatic thing, like our bodies are constantly in some sort of in, or in some state of inflammation, and it's yeah. not a bad thing. So that's trendy, you know, anti-inflammatory diets, that's trendy. Yes. Do you want to eat more foods that, you know, have the antioxidants in them like berries? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to cut out dairy or gluten or soy to do so unless, and this is where intuitive eating is awesome. Like if you realize, Hey, when I eat like, you know, maybe some certain dairy product, I don't feel well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then don't yes. eat it. Not right. because not because someone's telling you it's inflammatory, but because it actually doesn't make you feel good, right. you know? So I would never tell someone you have to eat, mm -hmm. you know, yogurt if yogurt made them feel like, right. but you know, if, if they were saying, oh, I've just been avoiding yogurt because they heard it's bad for me, yeah. then I would just educate them. Like, like I talked about now, like it's really not bad for you. It's actually great for you yeah. unless it makes you feel physically unpleasant. Then let's, let's see if it's the type of dairy if it's, um, you know, the brand that you're eating that just doesn't make right. you feel great. What are you eating it with? Like there's mm -hmm. so many things I would ask. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's so common. So if you're cutting out anything, just ask yourself, why, when did that start? Where did mm -hmm. I hear that? How did I feel when I was eating it? Yeah. You know, compared to how do I feel now? And if you did cut out something for a long period of time, it's probably not going to feel great when you first add it in, right. but this is where a dietitian comes in because we can help you yeah. add it in, in a safe, 
you know, ease your way into it Mm -hmm. so that you, your body's like, wait, I know how to digest this. I know, I know what Mm -hmm. to do with this. It just needs to kind of regain that again. I love that. That's amazing. Now, how does all of this relate to body image? Like if I'm an intuitive eater, does that automatically mean that I'm going to have this like great body image? I wish. Yeah. (laughs) I wish. No. I mean, so body image is fluid. It's Mm -hmm. always changing and your self-worth is concrete. So I like to actually define body image. Like what is body image? Okay. It's always changing. You could wake up one day and feel amazing. And then the next day you could be like, Oh my God, I I feel horrible about myself. Nothing changed between those days, except for your, your really your state of mind. So body image is always changing. And and when you're an intuitive eater, you know, you're not cured of bad body image days. It's really Mm -hmm. just not acting on it out of not respecting your body. So if you wake up and you're like, oh, I really don't like the way my arms look today. Mm -hmm. You know, in the past, maybe you'd be like, oh, I should just like not eat any sugar this week and maybe my arms will shrink or whatever we think. Right. You know, whereas now if you're an intuitive eater, you're able to say like, wow, like I don't like the way my arms look today, Mm -hmm. but I'm still going to respect my body and eat things that make me feel good. And maybe I'll put on a shirt that's comfortable and not wear whatever shirt you had on that maybe like you felt uncomfortable in, in that day. Um, so unfortunately, you know, we can't cure ourselves of bad body image, but we can learn how to cope with it in a way Mm -hmm. that's actually like healthy for you Mm -hmm. and not just try to quote unquote, fix it because we've had this conversation before, but we're so quick to just like, you know, someone, something doesn't feel right. Let me cut out gluten. (laughs) Yeah. Like absolutely. We're so quick to fix things. And it's like, let me just sit with it. Yes. Let me just sit with it. And you know, um, body image with Brie, you guys, all all of you guys should follow her. Her, She's at body image with Brie. She is the first person who I heard say like, sit in the suck, Mm -hmm. like literally just sit in it and feel it out. Don't push it away. When you push it away, it's just going to come right back. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to come back maybe not the next day, but more frequently if we're able to sit with it and just like kind of have a space, hold space for it. Mm-hmm. It's way easier to deal with. It's really uncomfortable to get used to doing that, but mm-hmm. it's way easier to deal with. And it was like one of the most revolutionary things I've mm-hmm. ever heard because I'm a fixer. You know, yes. if someone comes to me with a problem, like I would help them fix it. If I'm having a problem, I want to fix it. And like just yeah. being still with things is just so foreign, but Absolutely. really, really liberating. Yes. Uh, we'll definitely link body image with Brie in the show notes because like th- I, we could go, we could do a whole series on this, but we don't have time mm-hmm. today, but she has a lot of good stuff to say. Um, now you mentioned before that kids are born, you know, intuitive eaters. And I love what you said about that. I wanted to just circle back really quickly and just touch on, cause I know we have a lot of parents who listen to so what else. What do you think the impact is on kids when, and I know you're not like a child psychologist, but like, hello, like we've talked about this. So (laughs) what is the impact like on kids when they have a mom or a dad or whoever that's constantly on a diet or is very controlling of what their kids consume or whatever? Like, what do you think, how do you think that impacts them? Well, to start, before I even get right to that question, eating disorders, you know, when someone's like, why do I have an eating disorder? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, it's not one thing that causes it, but what research has shown is that it's psychological, Mm -hmm. it's environmental, Mm -hmm. it's sociocultural, like socioeconomic status that goes into really developing an eating disorder. So when I meet with people who have eating disorders um, in in a lot of different settings, a lot of it stems from what they saw growing up, what they mm-hmm. heard growing up. So, so getting back to kids specifically, like, I mean, anyone who's a parent, I'm not even a parent, but I know this kids are like sponges. They're like parrots, yeah. like monkey see monkey do like whatever you say, they're going to say back. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they see like mommy and daddy, you know, not eating the ice cream when they eat the ice cream every single time, or if they do eat the ice cream, they say, Oh, I got to wake up early tomorrow. And like, workout extra, you know, what kind of message is that sending them? And it's not like it's anyone's fault. It's not Mm -hmm. the parent's fault because maybe that's just what they saw growing up. But I think Mm -hmm. it's really important. Like if you feel like you struggle with your relationship to food and you want your child, son or daughter to have a healthy relationship to food, Mm -hmm. you are the perfect example to help them get there. And when I was working in eating disorders, you know, I did adolescence and we would have family meetings and it was Mm -hmm. hard. It's really, really hard 
Um, but it's, I mean, it's so beneficial for the child to, to see all foods included. I mean, even think, I even think of like kids growing up who like couldn't, couldn't have like Doritos in their house and certain Uh things in their house and guess what they did when the Doritos were around, Mm -hmm. you know, they ate the whole bag because mommy and daddy didn't have them at home. So there's so many examples I could get into, but I think it's just important. The language that you use with your Mm -hmm. children is literally so important. So not labeling food, good and bad, trusting that they are intuitive eaters, you know, they really are. So let them be, if they don't want, you know, the, the vegetable at dinner or the protein, maybe all they eat is like, you know, some pasta, Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They really do. And, you know, you can give them guidance to building balance and Mm -hmm. having variety, but you shouldn't be the one to say like, you can't have dessert until you finish um, your dinner because that's automatically saying that the dessert is something you need to earn. Yeah. Yes. It's like this Mecca that you hold on like a huge pedestal. And that's hard. I mean, like I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I'll catch myself at dinner saying things that I'm like, I don't even believe that anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it's coming out of my mouth and I'm like, oh my gosh, like Scott and I are very, very you know, set on the fact that we want to make sure that we're giving our girls, you know, like a good, um, just like modeling for them intuitive eating, you know what I mean? And that we don't say like, this is good, this is bad, you know, uh, this is, you know, you shouldn't eat that, you should eat this, like things like that. But even still, you know, it's so, so, so ingrained in our lives that it very easily flies out of my mouth. And so it's something I'm still working on. You know, I heard, I read this quote a few months ago. I do not know who wrote the quote and I feel really bad because I know that's like such a sucky thing to do, but like, I don't know who wrote it, but credit to the person who said it, but it basically said, it is certainly revolutionary to accept and even love your appearance. But sometimes the most transformative idea is that you are worth so much more than how you look. And like, for me, I like, I wrote that down because I just thought of my girls and even myself, right? Like where it's like, look, as my kids are growing up, do I hope that they look in the mirror and they like how they look? Of course I want that. But more than that, I want them to focus more on who they are on the inside. They're worth more than how they look, right? And so it's like, I want that so badly for them, you know what I mean? And I don't want them to, you know, feel like, oh, like we need to place such an emphasis on how we look on the outside, our weight and things like that, because it's so important because it's not, you know? And -hmm. I think that intuitive eating has helped me so much with that. So listen, we could go on for like 12 more hours. Like we have (laughs) not even scratched the surface, but this is amazing. And I'm sure that there's people that are listening to this that are like, I've never heard anything like this before. Or there's some people that are like, okay, I've heard this. I don't know if I'm ready. Maybe I am ready. What if somebody is like, I need more information about this or like, I'm ready to take the leap and I want to jump into intuitive eating. Like, what should they do next? I know you talked about the intuitive eating book by Evelyn Triboli. Like, I will for Mm -hmm. sure link that body image with Brie, blah, blah, blah. Anything else that you can think of off the top of your head that's like a good place for people to start? I mean, podcasts are great. So, um, Christy Harrison has a great podcast called Food Psych and then- um, Jenna, um, mm-hmm. the, my my boss, the owner of Happy Strong Healthy, she has a podcast with Sammy from from Find Food Freedom mm-hmm. um, called What the Actual Fork. Yeah, and it's incredible. I mean, all your questions will basically be answered there. Yeah. Um. So that's great. how I found you. I know they're they're amazing. <laughs> so Jenna's handle is at Happy Strong Healthy RD. Mm-hmm. Um. And then my handle is at Lauren's Balance Bites on Instagram. If you want to learn more, I mean, you can have, you have my email, so you can like link that. Okay. Um, I would say email me or DM me on social media. Awesome. Um, If you want to work with someone. So yeah. So are you taking new clients? Like if people are listening to this and they're like, I love her. I want to work with her. Like, are you taking new clients? How can they work with you? So I don't know when you're launching this, but I only have one more spot left for April. All right. Um, but May will have new openings too. So if you're interested, definitely DM me, definitely email me. I'll give you my um, personal application link to apply. Awesome. And then you'll go through the process and we'll see if we're a good, a good match, awesome. but I would love nothing more. So I hope, I hope someone comes. 
Oh, absolutely. So all of this, people, all of this will be linked in the show notes. I've been so good at doing legit show notes recently, and I'm so proud of myself. So before I let you go, Lauren, just give us like a few, like, what are your favorite snacks? Like you are an intuitive eating dietitian. Mm. What is your favorite snack? Oh my gosh. Right now. So I just went to Trader Joe's and I love Trader Joe's. I'm obsessed with their salt and pepper pistachios. Oh, so good. So I've been having those and their dried mango is oh, to I die. Yeah, it's so good. So that's been like my go-to is because like the sweet and salty combo is yes. incredible. Um, I'm such a cheese stick girl. So mm. like an apple and cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I love that. You know, it's like it's like a mini little charcuterie board. <laughs> oh, totally. Um, those are like two off the top of my head. Other things that I like. Mm, Probably oh I love the O Y the own O W Y N shakes the protein oh, shakes oh where do you get those you can get them on Amazon I ordered them on their website but it's just like have you ever had like the Fairlife or heard yes. of Fairlife Core Power yeah shakes? it's basically the same thing but it's um, non dairy oh, it has great. pea protein it has pea oh, protein oh nice I've heard so that's I just like, like to best. mix up my protein so that's what I've I've been drinking right now but nice. that's quick and easy I'm all about quick and easy like yes. no prep you know, satisfying. So those are my top three right now. I love it. I love it. Guys, if you decide to reach out, you know, someone like Lauren, like when I first started working with her, like she said, it's not like they just throw you into the fire. Like, Hey, tomorrow you're going to eat whatever you want. Good luck. Like she gave me recipes. She gave me time frames. She taught me about the science behind calories and what everything means. Like I could go on for hours. It's amazing. So Lauren, we thank you so much for being here with us. Seriously. I am so excited for this episode to air. I think it's going to help a lot of people. I love you. Thank Thank you you. for doing this. Thank you. I'm so happy to have been able to do this for you. Oh, you are the best. All right. So thank you so much and I'll see you soon. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like and subscribe right now before you go. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for our next episode. You can catch So What Else anywhere you get your podcasts or at CaitlinElliott.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Artwork by Caroline Chicola and editing and everything else by Scott Elliott. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.